listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. I'm Michelle Green and today we're talking to somebody who I have been searching for for quite a while and then she popped into my inbox. As anybody who has read the newsletter recently or has actually uh, followed the blog online lately knows, I've actually been shifting the focus of the Business of Baking a little bit away from the practicalities of running a cake business, although obviously that will always be my main goal. And I've been moving it more into talking about the emotional um, and mental health side of running a small business. Look, I'm not going to lie to you guys. We all know that it's really hard work. Running a hard business is hard work, but making cookies and cakes and cake pops and that stuff is not that hard. But dealing with the emotional fallout of a customer complaint or somebody being unhappy with you or just the plain exhaustion is much, much, much harder to deal with. And so for a long time, I've wanted to interview or speak to somebody on the podcast who has some experience in that. But I didn't want to talk to just anybody. And then, happily enough, the amazing Laurel Harlan rocked up into my inbox and said, Hey, Michelle, I am both a private practice therapist of 37 years and I own a cookie business for the last three years. And I'm like, yes, the exact right person has appeared in my, in my life for me to interview and talk about this stuff. So a very warm welcome to you, Laurel. I'm so glad you're here. Me too. I am so glad to get to do this with you. Yeah. This is ridiculously awesome. So for those of you who are curious about Laurel's background, the long and short of it is that she runs two companies because clearly she's glutton for punishment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and she's from Columbia, Missouri. And her first business is one called Human Dynamics. And it's a private uh, practice um, uh, therapy uh, practice, I guess we call it. And she's mm-hmm. run that for 37 years, which I feel like means she probably knows what she's talking about by now. <laughs> let's hope and she also runs a company called kiss me cookies which she's run for the past three years and i read a little bit of background about laurel and i laughed about the fact that she got into the cookie thing because she made some decorated sugar cookies for a for a baby shower for her her daughter and i just laughed only because not that that's funny because i was like yep sucked in like the rest of us laurel (laughs) you know absolutely yeah (laughs) <laughs> like all of us start that way right we do something for people we love and then like next thing we know we're suddenly telling them and that was not the plan <laughs> yeah well you know it's interesting because my when I did it and I did have that kind of instant oh my god this was so much fun I need to find other ways to make cookies <laughs> and my sister was the one who said to me when we were talking that she goes well it just really lit up your brain and I said yes that is exactly what it did it lit up my brain I think it lit up the creative side of your brain though right? yeah because uh-huh. your work it did. life is pretty analytical I imagine yeah, it's creative in a different way. I mean, how I work with people on an emotional level is creative. I, I, I have to be creative in a different way in terms of how I sit and listen and talk to people. Um, and this was much more, yeah, it's creative in a very different way. It's very visual. 
um, the colors, the designs, um, all of that is very different than what I do on a day-to-day basis with people. You know what, I um, at various times in my life, I've thought, oh, being a therapist, I, I would probably find that really interesting. And I think I'd really enjoy that. But I also think I would get to the end of the day and just be comatose on the bed. <laughs> I cannot, I mean, I'm sure you have developed the skills to let people's emotions and situations yeah. go, go through you as opposed to getting stuck in you. Um, yes. But for me, I did, for a couple of years there, I did one-on-one coaching with people. And in the end, I actually had to stop for that reason. I didn't have the skill to let it go through me as opposed to Mm-hmm. It's stuck in me. And so I always admire therapists because I think sitting and listening to other people's concerns and issues all day, while that's unbelievably admirable to me, I, the, the very idea of it exhausts me. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and some days it can be. I mean, but it's, uh, it can also be really uh, quite rewarding and exhilarating because I really get to see people change. I get, I often say people come in my office, they're a mess. And hopefully by the time that they leave, they're they're happier, they're leading healthier lives. I get to watch that transformation and that's quite rewarding. And, but you know, on the cookie side of thing, cookies don't talk. It's <laughs> probably why that, you like it. Yeah. I would say that could be the good news. <laughs> and but, it's just the cookie as my husband says. Well, can I also say cookies transform too, right? Like when they start, they're like butter and flour, not that exciting, but by the end, they're like a full on yeah. artistic creation. So cookies have yeah. a transformational experience too, you know? Yeah, yeah. They just don't oh, talk yes. about their feelings. That is true. They don't. They can create feelings in me, however. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for opening that door. Thank you for opening. I'm so glad you're here. I'm like literally like fist pumping like every third word you say. So thank you for opening the door about the emotion of cookies and the and the emotion they bring up in you. Yes. So I've said for a long, 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 long time that the difficulty in our industry, or really in the creative arts as a as a more general. Um, it's a more general thing, is that we have an exceptionally high preponderance of people who suffer from things like, maybe I shouldn't use the word suffer, or who, who, who cope with things like anxiety and depression and introversion and just a whole plethora of emotional mental health issues. We have a really high proportion of people who deal with those things in our industry. And I've come across it, oh my gosh, literally from day one, I think. When I, when I hung up my shingle as a, as a business uh, advisor, I, straight away I kind of learned that. But it has taken me a couple of years to realize that that's the thing we should be talking about more than we should be mm-hmm. talking about anything else. But I'm just curious, as somebody who is a therapist professionally, I have my theories about why we all are a little bit messed up <laughs> or, the create, or creative people are in general a little bit, a little bit uh, you know, off kilter. But I'm just curious, do you have a theory about why that is? Like, Why are there so many cookiers, cakers, whatever, who also deal with mental health issues? You know, I would come at it from a slightly different angle. I wouldn't, first of all, I work with a lot of different professions. I mean, people in all walks of life. And I I don't know that people in cooking, the baking part, are any, have any higher percentage really than you might see in others. I think what the way I would come at it is people with some of these, with anxieties or depression, find relief in the baking. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. I mean, I I bake for therapy reasons too. Right. They come to it as a way to help them cope as a relief, as a way to feel like they have something to give, uh, a way of giving back sometimes, as just even the kinesthetic being around the flour, the sugar, the, the baking, the 
just the just the act of doing it can bring them relief. So I think they come for that reason. I don't know that that necessarily means the profession has more of it, but I think that's why people come to it. Yeah, they tend, they tend to be more drawn to it. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think there's such oh such a beautiful it is that kinesthetic thing of the t- actually touching, oh, yes. kneading, yeah. rolling, the physical yeah. demands it yeah. puts on your body, I think are actually yeah. inc- incredibly freeing in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my theory about this is kind of similar to yours, that people, people come into baking uh, because of its therapeutic nature and because, you know, and, and art is therapeutic in and of itself, right? And so, uh-huh. yes. right. But here's my, here's my big thing. My big thing is we go into this because it's therapeutic. It makes us feel good. It calms us down whatever whatever we get out of it emotionally Mm -hmm. and then we turn it into a business which actually dials down the therapy and dials up the yes the emotional demand yes because when you are doing something as a hobby be that baking kayaking whatever knitting whatever you do as a hobby you know that's the place in which you relax into it you know and your your brain Mm -hmm. goes quiet and you end up in the flow of doing it whatever as soon as it becomes a business and you have the demands of customers want certain things they want at a certain time it has to be a certain flavor then they're emailing you 40 times a day demanding to know what's going on and they want progress photos and whatever else they're wanting you Mm -hmm. actually lose two things one the the freedom you had when it was just a hobby and two you actually lose the free time yes because all day you're working in a job or being a mother, or you're doing whatever, and then all night you're working in a job. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah. So to me, that's like the perfect storm because this thing that was therapeutic is now no longer therapeutic, and I no longer have the time to engage in things that are therapeutic. Well, I think that's kind of where the balance comes into it because you're right. Once you move it into a business realm, then you have the demands placed on you to actually complete orders, to obviously do the business side of things in terms of dealing with customers, marketing, social media, all the stuff that goes along with it. And when it's just a hobby, then I'm, you know, if I go home and I don't feel like making cookies, I'm not going to make cookies. But if I go home and I've got an order that's due in two days and I have to get these done, then that's a different kind of pressure, obviously. Well, yeah, and th- this is my thing, right? And then you yeah. have no, and then you have no space in which to right. engage in anything creative. Not, or- yeah, not unless you figure out a way to do that. Unless you figure out a way to have the balance that you need, because that's that's the piece that's really the most important. Is how do I take care of myself in the process of this? Well, I shouldn't give it up, but again, it's a, to me, it's about the balance. You know, I have to find ways. You know, I one of the things that's that's been very helpful for me. Well, I was going to say it'll sound weird, but I don't think it actually sounds weird, is having done my business for 37 years that my private practice has taught me so much. It's taught me so much about how to say no to people, how to not feel like I have to take on every person who ever contacts me and wants my services, to limit, to say, these are the hours I work. And if somebody says, well, I want to be seen at six o'clock and I go, I'm so sorry, that doesn't fit my schedule. I can't do that. Here, let me refer you on to somebody else. I don't feel obligated to change my schedule to meet that person's demands. So I've learned how to say yes to things. I've learned how to say no to things. I've learned how to set a schedule and stick with it. Uh, I've learned how to leave things at work, as you were talking about, that I have to be able to walk out the door at night and leave it behind. 
And that really helped me tremendously when I started the cookie business because I already had that skill set of how to do it. And yeah, boundaries. I, boundaries. This is all about yeah, boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about boundaries. Yeah. And well, I, boundaries and self-care. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I talk about that um, as boundaries around customers, when and uh -huh. when you will answer the phone, when you won't answer the phone, you know, this kind of right. stuff. And I also talk about it as boundaries around myself, what I will and will not tolerate from myself. And, right. the, and the behaviors and the habits and the whatever that I will and will not tolerate from myself. I think you have to have boundaries. It's not probably the best word, but sort of boundaries around yourself as well. You know, like, mm -hmm. is my boundary that I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night? Yes. You know, or yeah. whatever. So how are you managing this other than having amazing boundaries? Because running a, a, you know, a busy private practice and then making cookies. And I understand that the cookie business is going pretty well, actually. Maybe a little bit too well. <laughs> which is there a good time to have. <laughs> So, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem. Like, I mean, we have to acknowledge that. I, you know, for, for every person I have who's like, Michelle, I don't have enough orders. I have other people on the other spectrum who are like, I have so many orders. I do not know what right. to do with myself. And I, right. I literally have not slept in, you know, 63 hours or something. Right. So how are you managing this? Like, this is a lot going on. And so well, you have this busy cookie business. You've got this busy price. It's all happening. So, you, Laurel, how do you do this? <laughs> One of the things that happened was um, probably five years ago now, well, maybe, maybe four. Anyway, it was right around the time I started the cookie business a little bit before. Anyway, I cut my private practice back. I started not seeing as many people. I'm only working three days a week as opposed to five days a week. And what I found was it was great to cut back. And at the same time, I was at home thinking, well, now what am I going to do? I'm, I don't want to just sit around the house and not do anything just because I'm not working as much in the office. And that uh, that's given me the space. I don't know if I was doing five days a week of the, of the counseling, I don't know that I would have started the cookie business, but because I have this free time and this space opened up for me to say, yes, you know, Wednesday mornings, Thursday mornings, all day Fridays, I can make cookies for people. Uh, so, so I had the space to be able to do that. And again, for the most part, the, the practice really was running pretty well. That shifted about a year ago. And actually, I, I've been telling people last year was one of the hardest years of my practice because I had an office manager that I'd worked with for 33 years. And she decided to retire. And all of a sudden, there were all these responsibilities that she had been doing that landed on my shoulders. And I had to figure out ways to start doing things she had been doing for me and ways she certainly took care of me. I now needed to take care of myself. And at that point, it really did. I mean, the cookie business was going great. I had all these orders and I was having a very difficult time juggling the demands of my practice and the cookie business. And there were several times, I know I said this to my husband several times, I know what I really need to do. I need to shut down the cookie business. I need to put all my attention on my practice because that's what really needs my attention right now. And I just couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't do it because I got too much reward from it. It was too satisfying. I liked the creative outlet. I just enjoyed it so much. I just was loathe to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. So as a result, I kept doing it and figuring out kind of how to make the practice come around. And in about a year's time, I kind of finally have figured out how to do the balancing again. But last year was a really difficult year for me. 
because of that, just because of the shift. And again, the, the amazing thing to me is it does not matter how long you have run a business, you will hit potholes. You will have some phase of the business where stuff gets rough. It doesn't matter that I've been doing it. You know, my private practice is 34 years old. Didn't matter. Um, I now had one of the worst years in terms of trying to handle that than I'd had in 34 years. So, and I was prepared for that to some degree, I guess, maybe I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know that I could have told you it was going to be as bad as it was, but um, I knew, I knew that things could get bad and I had to deal with it. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's how I do the balancing. I don't work full time in the counseling piece, so I have time to do the cookies. Well, the thing the thing that came out of that that's really interesting to me is I so recently one of my uh, one of my students was like, Michelle, you'd be so proud of me. I quit my job, you know, blah, blah. And I joked that the the new tagline for the business of baking should be the business of baking, unemploying people since 2014. (laughs) Yeah. And and we all had a bit of a laugh about it because uh, remarkably, uh, a lot of people do quit their jobs after coming in contact with me or, or, or learning from me or whatever, which is hilarious. But I meet just as many people who exactly like you are like, I really love my other career. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give it up why should I have to? And I was like, well, you don't have to. I don't think it has to be all or nothing. And so you're actually a really great example of somebody who's gone, you know what? I actually am choosing to do both because both bring me different, you know, different joys, different aspects, different challenges, different whatever. And so I love that about you actually. And I think you have, you probably remarkably realized, you know what? These two things bring different things into my life and therefore I'm getting what I want out of them. It's totally okay. It doesn't have to be yeah. all or nothing. I agree. It do, and, I, and I do feel fortunate because I know there are plenty of people who are working jobs that they don't, they don't find rewarding or they don't particularly like, and they're doing it because they need to. They need to feed their families. They need to pay the bills. And I feel very fortunate that both of these things are things that I truly love doing and that I have a passion for and that I always have had a passion for. Mm. And I know not everybody has that. And and I feel remarkably lucky to have that. And that being said, I also have to emphasize the Kiss Me Cookies is, you know, I am not trying to support myself from that income. That makes a huge difference too. I mean, the private counseling business still really is my main source of income. Yeah, And so that makes a huge difference too, because I have the luxury of taking orders when I want to take orders. If I need a weekend off, then I'm not going to take orders for that weekend. Um, I'm not looking at it as a way to support me financially. But it's still a business. Yes, it's still a business. And I have to see it as a business and I have to run it as a business. Yeah, Which is so, I can't even tell you how much that is a, a discussion I've had uh, countless times where people say to me, it doesn't need to make me a living. It's not a real business. It's just a hobby. And I'm like, no, the minute you have a Facebook page, a business name, mm-hmm. you take orders, people pay you, that's a business. Mm-hmm. The, the definition of business is not predicated on how much money you need or are making out of it. Right. In fact, you could be making nothing or losing money. It still counts as a business. Right. And, and that to me is actually an emotional choice that people are making. So let me to see it as a business. You mean, or yeah, to see it as a business and to call it a business. And what I've, what I've discovered is that people will call this, this thing a hobby for as long as they possibly can. 
because there is an emotional leap between calling something a hobby and calling something a business. And now I meet people with, with Facebook pages, business bank accounts, I mean, basically full-fledged businesses. And I say, oh, you run a business, that's great. And they go, oh, I'm just a hobbyist. I'm like, yeah. hmm, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but okay. And I think it's because, this is again, me armchair psychologizing here. Is psychologizing a word? I don't think it's a word. Anyway. It is now. It is now. Uh, I think there's a real emotional leap of fear. I think it's fear, right? Because as long as I call this a hobby and I say I'm a hobbyist and I downplay it and I pretend like it's no big deal and, you know, I'm just a hobbyist, whatever. It's really easy to back out of that. It's easy, well, it's easy to back out of a hobby, right? Yes. And I, I think it's also a, a definition of yourself. I do think fear is involved in that. Again, if you think about, and I'm going to generalize here because I think that there are a lot of women in this field. And so if you think about the, the messages we get as women, as not being as capable, not being as smart, not being as able to do this. When you make that transition and you say, I'm going to run a business, I am running a business, you're putting yourself out there in a different way. And that's what I think is a hard shift is I'm, it's a self, I'm going to define myself differently. And that can be really scary because if you put yourself out there, yeah, you could get shot down. Um, People do not like it. People can criticize you. Well, this is it. You're, you're, well, you're, you're putting yourself open to criticism. Yeah. And, and I think in general, humans want to protect themselves, right? And so why would yeah. we do that? Why would we put ourselves out there? I right. say to um, people who come to my in-person class, I say, when you walked in the door this morning, if I asked you what you did, your answer would have been, I make cake. I make cookies, yes. I make cake pops. And I said, my goal is that when you walk out of the door at the end of the day and somebody says to you, what do you do? Your answer is, I own Michelle's Bakery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a yeah. business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm a whatever. But you don't say I make, you say I am. Right. There's a real, yes. like for me, there's a huge mental shift in that. But I think once you make that mental shift to I am a business owner, it actually makes dealing with, you know, customer complaints a lot easier. It makes dealing with, you know, I think when you're in that headspace of I'm a maker, it actually stops you from doing a lot of stuff. You play small. You do things small. I don't mean literally. Mm-hmm. All the time, right? And you you deal with customers in this kind of like fear-based, I don't want them to get upset at me. I don't want them to be angry at me. I don't want them to whatever. There's a lot of fear there. But for me, when you make that mental shift from I'm a maker to I'm an owner, suddenly it's not, so, it's not as scary to put it out there, to try stuff, to give different marketing things a try, to you know, deal with somebody who might be unhappy with you, whatever. And I think you really, just that mental shift of I'm a business owner, actually you kind of step into your power and go, I'm not just a maker. I actually run this joint. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and sometimes you have to grow into that. I mean, you have to. Oh yeah. It's not instant. It's not instant. Yeah. Yeah. You have to learn to wear it as a second skin and, and again, to feel more confident with that. And, and sometimes the way you get more confident is to keep handling all the stuff that owning a small business throws you. And you keep figuring it out. I mean, that's the thing I found remarkable was, you know, things would happen and I would go, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And then I would figure it out and I go, oh, okay, well, that was good. I figured it out. Um, And my philosophy truly is I have to believe in me. I have to believe I can figure this stuff out or I will find someone who will help me figure it out. I can't know everything. 
I know I can't know everything. I've learned that, but I really trust my ability now. I'll find somebody who will help me figure this out. Yeah. My, one of my favorite inspirational quotes is everything is figure outable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, it is. It is. It is. It's all problems that have to be solved. Well, that's it. it. Yeah. But my, the emotional piece is what will trip people up. I mean, oh yeah, that's, that's where it gets difficult because all kinds of things can happen emotionally when you're faced with challenges and you begin to doubt yourself or get self-critical, beat yourself up or lose confidence in yourself. All that stuff will trip you up in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. A cookie that's not cooperating is pretty easy to solve. A brain that's not cooperating, different story altogether. Right. 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 Yes. <laughs> you know, we can always rebake a cookie. We can't exactly, right. you know, like re whatever a brain. <laughs> well, you can you can redo your brain, but it takes a lot of work. You well, have to a little really bit longer than twenty two minutes in an oven, yeah. kind of thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I had a question for you, which I feel like I, I, I'm going to try so hard not to step on anybody's toes and not to offend. So if you're listening to this and I do that to you, please know that it was not intentional. So I have been very open about this discussion about mental health in our industry. And, and, I, and my intent is to become more open about it as, as the next year unfolds for me and for my business, because I think it's just vitally, vitally important. Mm -hmm. I think it's a much yeah. bigger piece than working out how to, you know, what type of royal icing consistency yeah. you need or whatever. <laughs> but I have noticed in recent time that um, as, as, as I've become more open about it, other people also become more open about it. And I've noticed a lot of people in the social media space talking about their struggle with mental illness. And I am specifically talking only about our industry at the moment. And it's very interesting to me, Laurel, because on the one hand, I am all about authenticity. I'm all about being who you are. I'm all about letting your customers in to your life a little bit. You know, like I would encourage people to take a photo of their child helping them with a cake, or I would encourage people to take a photo of, you know, the mess in their kitchen and like, you know, the behind the scenes, you know, pull back the curtain a little sure, bit uh -huh. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I really think that's important that we connect as human beings and that we, we, we share our stories and whatever. But I have to say that as a, as a business mentor, I'm kind of struggling with these people who are sharing so much that it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's too much. That's not the right words, but it's, you know, they're, they're sharing photos of themselves, you know, crying at three o'clock in the morning and they're sharing photos of themselves, you know, kind of, you know, in a, in, in a wreck on the, you know, they're taking a selfie of themselves losing it or whatever, or, you know, yeah. they're, they're posting something on Instagram, like it's 5am and I haven't slept in three days and the demons of depression are, you know, um, crushing me or, or whatever. And there is a part of me that wants to stand up and applaud and say, I'm, I think that's amazing that you are being so brave and you are sharing and you are telling the world what's really going on and you are out there in the media and doing it. On the other hand, as a business advisor, I want to say, please don't, <laughs> or, or right. don't do it this much, or don't do it this much. Because if I'm a customer and I'm following you on social media and I see you in tears at 3 a.m. wondering how you're going to finish an order, that's going to make me go, what happens if she loses it when it's my order? Mm -hmm. And all business, you know, at any level, whether it's to make you a million dollars or to make you five bucks in your pocket, is about engendering trust between the supplier and the, purchase, the person wanting the product, right? And so... I, I never know what to, I never know what the right, you know, I, I sort of, I, I live in this, in this middle world where on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, you, that's so amazing that you're being so brave and sharing. And on the other hand, I'm like, oh my God, your customer does not need to see a photo of you crying and losing it at 3 a.m. 
Well, <laughs> help me navigate that, this world, Laurel. Yeah, the the way that I think about it, because I agree with you, I, I I think it is high time that a lot of this is out of the closet, so to speak that it is something that we acknowledge that it happens for people. It happens for a lot of people and that everybody at some point or another may need help. And, and some people have longstanding problems that they need to deal with over and over and over again. And in my mind, there is a difference between I need to keep this secret I need to keep people from finding out that I struggle with this. This is something I feel ashamed of and I need to lock it up and keep that part of myself away from anyone discovering this about me because if they discovered it about me, I would feel so awful and I already feel so awful about myself. So secrets always make us sicker is what I tell some my clients. There is a difference between secrecy and privacy. Private to me means I need to talk about this, but I need to do this with people who I trust and I know that they have my back and the people you trust at that level, I always say they're going to, they're going to fit on one hand and you are probably not going to fill up the hand. So there only are a select few people that you go into the nitty gritty details about what your struggles are. Can you say, yes, I struggle with this. You know, that's something I think you have to decide for yourself, whether you want to put that out there for people. Do I need to expose all of the details of what I'm struggling with and what it's about? And that I think is private. And you need to do that with people who are really going to help you and be there for you and um, not just expose yourself to to everybody. Because I do think, you know, not everybody in the world is going to have your back. And not everybody's going to take care of you and care about you. And it can come back and really bite you, so to speak. And that that's the distinction I make and how I approach it. Yeah, I love that between secret versus private. Yeah, right. Secrets do make us sicker for sure. You know? They do. I guess, you know, I always, I th- you know, I think you're so right. And that people put things out there on social media expecting, hoping, I don't know, that the return will be all positive. But it's not. Right. No, it's not. No. Sadly, no, if not. anything, sometimes it can, again, it can really be used against you. It can be weaponized in some way and hurt you deeper. Um, there have been a lot of instances in our industry of people having very public breakdowns, actually. Mm-hmm. It happens more often than I, I care to actually think about. I cannot tell you the number of times I have seen um, gosh, people having just a, a breakdown is the best way to put it, but they have a very public breakdown, you know, and they, and they do things like post on Facebook, you know, since you guys have all been so mean to me or whatever, I'm now closing my business. I'm now giving up. I'm now this, I'm now that I'm the other. And, and I've seen, there was a famous story a couple of years back about a woman who'd won an award. She entered a cake competition and won an award and she was really proud of it and said, you know, I've won this award, whatever. And unfortunately there was an enormous backlash against her. I don't know. People thought she was bragging. I don't really know why you would backlash against somebody winning an award, but whatever. 
And she ended up having a very public um, suicide attempt. And, uh, you know, she had other people posting for her saying, she's in the hospital now, blah, blah, blah. And I found myself thinking at the time, look, there's no way she deserved that backlash at all. You know, not not even at all. But I found myself thinking, I wonder if now she kind of regrets having been so open about her struggles back then. Like, do you know what I mean? If 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 you share so much, then when the fall comes, do you have to share that too? You know, like it's, it's a real, I don't know. I struggle to see the value in putting so much out there. And I think that if you are putting yourself out there, hoping that all the return is going to be positive and then it's not like it almost causes more problems than it was worth sharing in the first place. Well, I don't think there's an if in that statement. I mean, I don't think it's an if it's all going to be positive because I can pretty much guarantee you it, it won't all be po- positive. It won't. Mm. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen too many of the the Facebook discussions sometimes and how people react. And, you know, I think what's really hard is that I always say people are like icebergs. You know, all you really see is about 10%. And mm. you have a whole 90% that's submerged below the surface and you don't know what's submerged. And so people have reactions that come out of their own submerged places. Like if I, let's use this as an example. I mean, if I see someone who's won an award and now I'm jealous of that and I feel like I've been cheated because, you know, I put all this effort in and I'm not being rewarded. And so I have this backlash toward this person. That's really about me. That's not so much about her, Mm. but I don't, I'm directing it at that person, but it's not actually really about that person. It's about me and my own struggles but I don't necessarily have, you have to have an awareness of that. You have to, you have to have an awareness that this is really about me and my struggle. And I sometimes think that lots of people do not have an awareness of what their struggles are. Yeah. So they take it out on the nearest target when really yes. it's just an expression of their own fear or whatever feelings yes. they've got uh-huh. going on. Yeah. So, yeah. So Laurel, out of curiosity, when I come across these things, these people sharing a lot about their experience or whatever, I have noticed that it becomes a little bit like once they start, they can't stop. It's, it's sort of like, you know, once they, they crack open the door, that little bit, mm-hmm. they, they, there's almost a uh, compulsion to then shove that door wide open and be like, and lay it all out really bare and say, here is all my issues. I'm going to be super honest and super whatever. And I have to wonder, and I'm curious what you think about this. Like, where does that compulsion come from? Does it come from they dipped their toe in the water, they said, hey, I struggle with anxiety, and then somebody gave them a positive thing, and so they cracked the door a little bit more open? Does it come from I don't have anyone in my, in my real life who can support me and help me through this, so maybe these people were like, where does the need to share like that come from? What's it born from? Well, it could be that they they have gotten some positive feedback or maybe for the first time they feel some true freedom in being able to identify and to talk about because they've never really had that freedom to speak freely and now they're giving themselves permission to put it all out on the table, so to speak, and maybe they have had people who have responded positively to it. Sometimes I think it's also people's way, they're really just trying to work through stuff. I mean, they're trying to figure it out and what's it all about. And, 
it's difficult to figure out where's that boundary again between what should I really be keeping to myself and what's private and what should I let people know about? It is fair to to say sometimes, you know, you struggle with depression or anxiety. I don't think you have to go into the nitty gritty of it. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I, I, I keep rolling in my head what you said a few minutes ago about the whole private versus secret thing, you know? Uh-huh. When, when my husband David and I went through IVF, um, at the time, I was very, I was private but not secretive about it. And I'm, I'm, this expression is totally going to turn into a blog post. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and so at the time, right, at the time, I, I, I never kept it a secret. As in if somebody were to ask me, I was very honest. And I said, yeah, we're going through the situation. But I never felt the need to, like, announce it right? Mm-hmm. I, yes. I never understood uh-huh. what was the point in that. Like, what are you going to do? Send an email to your 40 friends and whatever. And really right. interestingly, after the fact, right, I got pregnant, had my kids, whatever. And I had triplets. And so triplets, people assume are IVF. In this case, they were, right? And so people would ask me about it after the fact. And do you know how many people were offended I didn't tell them? Like right. lots. Like yeah. I had a lot of people yeah. going like, why didn't you tell me? If you told me, I would have supported you. If you told me, I would have with this. If you told me, I would have that. If you told me, I would have whatever. And very interestingly, that experience of that, that whole IVF thing has actually really then had an impact on how, how I've talked about things in my business going into the future. And I've still always maintained that, that private versus secret thing that I'm open about the fact that I regularly see a therapist. I open about uh, the fact that, yeah, I get scared about stuff and I get worried and I get, you know, I'm human like everybody else, but I have always main still maintained that boundary because I've kind of thought, well, you don't need to know all that stuff. You can know some, but you don't need, but it, it was always interesting to me how after the fact, People got really irritated with me. Like, I wish you would have told me because I would have done something about it. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> That's about you feeling the need to help, you know? But it's interesting that kind of subconsciously I've, I've kept that. And there's, there's been things in my life that I, I happily talk about and I happily lay it all out there and I happily whatever. But there is still always, yeah, some percentage of iceberg, you know? And I guess maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe, maybe the message we need to get across from people is, Hang on to your hang on to your iceberg because that's yours, and it's okay to have yes. it's okay to have things that are just yours and protect those things, you know. Well, and also, the other thing I would put in and be really selective. I mean, it is up to you. Be really selective about who you share this with. It should really be. You should really judge whether the person is truly i mean first of all are they do they have good boundaries are they going to be able to keep their mouth shut oh you yes share things that are really personal does it really is it really going to stay between the two of you or is this person going to promptly turn around and tell five of his or her best friends oh my god um, yes oh my that's a thing that oh yeah. my yes yes yeah so you know yes, I, think I think sharing is a gift so don't just give it to anyone uh-huh. yes yes i would agree with that i would agree with that it is a gift it is a gift. Interesting. When I, when I teach in person, I often tell way more of my story than I would in a blog post or in a podcast or in a whatever. And afterwards, people usually um, very kindly thank me for my honesty and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to work out that the reason I do it in a live class is because if I can see you, I can assess you. Yes. I can see. I, I was just going to ask you that. Is yeah. it because they're live? You, yeah, you yeah it's because they're live. I, well, I can see them. I can, I can touch them. I can, I can hug them. I can, 
I can listen to them. I can, mm-hmm. I can kind of feel it out. And it's very interesting to me that now that I sit here and I reflect on it in some live classes, you know, I really open that door very wide and in others mm-hmm. I don't. And it's because in the beginning part of that class, I'm able to kind of assess, are these people with whom I want to trust my story yes. or are they not? Yeah. yeah. You know? And there's yeah. a certain, um, from a business point of view, that class is not inexpensive. It's also not short. So there's a certain, um, I feel like an energetic or emotional exchange. And by them saying, I'm willing to pay this money and take this day or this weekend out of my life to spend with you. I trust you that you're going to hold my, you're going to hold my story safe. And so I feel that I can then tell them my story or the bigger part of the story. And I often get to the end of that class feeling that those people who have sat there have been transformed for sure. But so have I. Well, I think that's, I think that's really important to point out that the transformation goes both ways, that you as the teacher are equally as affected as the class members are. And I also think, Michelle, it's also about you set the tone. I mean, you make it safe for them then to, because you're willing to share of yourself, then you make it safe for them. You're giving them permission. This is an okay thing for us to talk about. And that's huge too, because not you've been to classes, you know, not every not every instructor is going to do that. They're not; it's not going to be safe, and the person may not actually really want to hear about it. Oh, so some think, some teachers just show up to teach and leave, which is fine. Yeah, I don't show up. That's just not not. I don't think I could work like that, even if I wanted to. Right. <laughs> you know, like I say at the beginning of the class, be prepared for me to cry at some point because it's inevitable that I will. I can't mm-hmm. help it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. All right. So Laurel, I know that um I know that you have cookies to make and people yes, do. people's heads to unravel. So I just want to finish up our interview today. You you have been amazing and I feel like I could just talk to you for days and days and days, which is probably oh, a sign you. that you're probably a sign that you are a great therapist, right? Because you're yeah. as good at listening as, as <laughs> But for those people out there listening to this who are struggling with with the anxiety and, and depression and you know, painful shyness or whatever it is they're going on with. Can you give me like, I don't know, a couple of, I don't want to say tips because I feel like that reduces its value, but maybe just a couple of insights that you've learned as somebody who both deals in the mental health area and runs two small businesses, like a couple of things that kind of, you know, home truths that made you realize at some point it's me who's got to do the work here. So I should do the work. I don't know. Just give us a couple of like, you know, well, you know, moralisms. That's a thing now. That's a thing now. Laurelism. That's a word too. <laughs> yeah, right. Just changing the whole English language today. Yeah, right. Go for it, Laurel. The the, the world is your oyster. Tell us what you know. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I think it's really important to reach out and ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help, because trying to do this all by yourself. I mean, I know I sent you some information, just background information about myself, but you know, when I first started the business 30 some odd years ago and there were places where it was incredibly hard for me and I really needed to get help. I'm a professional in the field and chose to go get help for myself. And so I, I value that on both sides, I call both sides of the chairs. You know, I've been in the client chair, I've been in the therapist chair. I know being in the client chair is one of the hardest things you can ever do sometimes, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Reach out for that. Let someone give you some guidance or some suggestions. 
I think the other piece is also try having some awareness of what you're really afraid of. You know, in, in anticipation of, of this interview, I was thinking about, you know, there are times I still, you know, I, I don't work that much in fondant. I really wanted to do some cookies that did some fondant work. I could tell I kept avoiding and putting off working on that cookie because I didn't feel secure in what I was doing. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I also knew the only way I was going to learn how to do it was to do it. But I could tell I still have that anxiety that will go, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not because I might not be very good at it. And that's when I can say, yeah, it's just a cookie and somebody's going to eat it. And just taking the risks. I mean, perspective is a wonderful thing. (laughs) It is. It is. It's just a cookie. It really is. It's, you know, somebody will eat it. Um, Even if it's just my husband (laughs) will eat it. Um, So I think asking for help, have an awareness of your own fears. What are they about? Um, And again, that's where I think someone can help you define what's really going on here. What are you really afraid of? Because most of the time, it's not rational. It's not logical. You know, when I read the, when I read the Facebook posts where people are saying, Oh, I've had an airbrush for a year. I'm too scared to take it out of the box. It's like, Oh no, I'm so sorry that that is tripping you up like that. Um, Again, what's the worst thing that can happen? The other, I don't know if this is, I was going to say technique, but I don't know if that's exactly the right word is really just trying to learn how to breathe. I find that even when I'm decorating the cookies, I have to, if there are places where I'm feeling really anxious or unsure of myself, I have to make sure I'm breathing while I'm doing that technique because the more I hold my breath and I get anxious, the more likely I am to screw up. So just trying to learn how to breathe and to be in my body as opposed to in my fear is huge too. So those would be a couple of my suggestions, I guess. Do you know that last one is, you know, it sounds like sounds obvious, right? Aren't we breathing all the time? But actually oh, we're not. Man. No, yeah, we're not. No, oh, we're not. And I find that when, yeah. I'm, when I'm writing a blog post, I feel a little bit nervous about or, you know, decorating a cake I've never done before, whatever. I do hold my breath or I often, I have this thing where I, my shoulders end up somewhere around my ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it, and until yeah. I go, until I stop doing it, and I'm like, oh god, man, I've been holding those shoulders up there for a while now. <laughs> god, yeah, that's not so comfortable. Oh, yeah. breathing is a big one. It's, it sounds obvious. Yeah. It's not obvious. Yeah. Well, and the other part is just your fear is gonna be with you. I always say the fear is in the front seat of the car with you. And you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing. Um, I went to do a cookie workshop out east and again my sister says to me so you and your fear are just getting on the plane together I said yeah (laughs) we are we're just getting on the plane together I'm afraid I'm really scared and I'm gonna go do it anyway um and kind of that leap of faith so to speak yep feel the fear do it anyway and remember it's a cookie remember it's a cookie it's a cookie yeah and everything is figure outable yeah yeah it is yeah even an airbrush Yes, even an airbrush, even fondant. I figured that out too. Even fondant. I, I can I figure out fondant. I definitely <laughs> think airbrushes are like the most fearful tool we own like as an industry. People are terrified of those things. I don't know why. I don't know why either because it, it's 
it's actually really fun. <laughs> I it, is it, real, really it is really fun. I did, a, I did an interview with, um, with Belle from Stencil Belle. Uh-huh. Here as well. And she was also laughing about that. Like, what is it with the airbrushes? Right. People are just terrified of those things. <laughs> because they're metal and they're scary looking. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, really, again, what's the worst thing that can happen? Right. You get airbrush all over everything and you eat the cookie. Right. You turn your, 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 your ceiling purple or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird one. Yeah. Laurel, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to today. I feel like you oh, just now, you. you now need a whole new niche in like counseling the food industry. <laughs> Women in the creative food industry. Right. It's like a whole right. new niche for you, you know? Just move into that one. You could be like, you know, half counseling session, half like, let me show you how to pipe that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, yeah, you know, that would, I could do those two things together. We're going to work through your fear today. We're getting out the airbrush. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a thing. I think you need to explore this as a business option for real. Could be, could be whole new revenue stream. <laughs> I feel like I'd be signing up for that, even though I'm not afraid of an airbrush. I'd be like, I just want to do this because this would be really fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. You've been an absolute pleasure. I completely Thank love you. And I'm you. so glad that Thank you were you. brave enough to send me an email and tell me who you are and what and you I, And I do have to tell you, when <laughs> I sent you the email, honest to God, I thought to myself, I don't normally do this. I mean, I don't. I don't just shoot an email out there in response. But I read your blog post and I thought, I have to respond to this. I just, I just felt compelled to say to you, again, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think I even ended it by saying, you know, preach on, sister. I'm in the choir right behind you. Because <laughs> I think it's so vital. It's so important we begin to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. And conversations like the one we've just had, go, I think, go a long way towards that. So yeah. let's, we're just going to keep on keeping on, I think, is the plan. Yep. Absolutely. For yep. those of you who uh, are interested in more of Laurel's work, I will pop a link up to her, her cookie business. I'm assuming that's okay with you, Laurel. Yes, it uh, I'll is. pop a link up to the cookie business and other ways that you can get in touch with her if you'd like to get in touch with her, obviously. Outside of this podcast, you are more than welcome to. For those of you who are interested in coming to see me live and having that transformative experience in couple of short weeks, I actually will be launching those classes. And this year I will be in Australia, across the United States and in the UK and Canada. It's very exciting. So uh, keep an eye on the blog for that kind of information. But in the meantime, if I don't get to meet you in person, I hope that you have found today's conversation interesting and insightful and, you know, like we're reaching out and giving you a big fat cuddle. Thanks so much yeah. for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. Just keep on keeping on. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.